0: It's not a podcast, it's Yeah Right. Okay, welcome back to Season 1, Episode 2 of Yeah Right. Now, that last episode was pretty special. I mean, it was the pilot episode. Uh, We didn't get picked up by any major networks, so we're going full indie mode into this podcasting shit. Um, You know, monologuing isn't exactly the easiest thing, but I think I pulled it off pretty well in Episode 1. And I'm going to try to do it again in episode two here. So let's hope I don't uh, fail miserably. Um you know, I think the best part about releasing episode one was that Apple and Spotify haven't decided to nuke my show off their platforms yet. So one thing, you know, that I would always fear is that Apple and Spotify were like, there's too many listeners. And you know what? I thought that might happen with Yeah, Right. So they would have to take the show off the platform. Like there's just too much traffic. But lo and behold... Uh, that didn't happen. We're still here. Uh, you know, we're not fucking leaving. So hopefully <laughs> it stays that way for episode three. Uh, so you know what? Welcome to episode two. Uh, we actually have a special guest here today to uh, to to comment on the topic uh, at hand here. It's actually Drake. Um, I don't know if you know who Drake is, but he's a, a very uh, small artist from Canada. He's uh, very widely known, uh, you know, in other parts of Canada, of course, and, you know, Nunavut and Caluit. Um, you know, Northwest Territories. But here, you know, in the Southern Canada, a very small artist, let me tell you. So, Drake, do you have anything to say? And more tune for your head top, so watch how you speak on my name, you know? Okay, uh, anyways, I don't really know what he's he's talking about there, but you know what, let's hope he can, he can add more later on in the show. Um, I think one thing I want to talk about here, though, is that our live audience was actually shut down after episode one. So, unfortunately, uh, the live audience decided... Uh, they were not down for breaking pro- COVID protocols, and the government actually contacted me and said that we can't hold any more shows in the back of a Wendy's um, because apparently there's a pandemic going on, and we can't be breaking those rules. And here at Yeah Right, uh, health and safety is our number one priority, and so with that reason um, at you know at hand here, I'm actually recording in a bear's den. Uh, I actually paid the bears to uh, record in here. There's really great acoustics. I'm not going to lie. It bounces off the rocks and kind of the, if they're wet, especially it bounces off really well. So I'm not going to complain too much here uh, because the bears are pretty sweet. Uh, They're kind of my boys um, down here in Canada. And I think uh, they add a lot to the show because they kind of instill a sense of fear in me. So if I stop recording or I stutter or I mess up, uh, they'll basically just eat me. So I, I, really am hoping that isn't the case today. With that being said, today I have a really important topic I want to talk about and that is music documentaries. So the last few days I went through the absolute gauntlet of music documentaries and I'm talking about like mainstream, super mainstream artists documentaries that are on like Netflix uh, or Amazon Prime, whatever it may be, Uh, like One Direction, Justin Bieber, Billie Eilish, Taylor Swift, Ariana Grande, and I think that's, oh, Travis Scott as well, and Charlie XCX, but I haven't been able to watch the Charlie one yet, because it's not out yet, um, anyways, uh, I'm not going to go back and watch, you know, fucking, a Fleetwood Mac documentary, like, I don't think, um, they're mainstream enough in a way for me to really complain about how bad their documentary might have been, or might have been great, who knows, but I'm still not going to talk about it, because, uh, we're talking mainstream here only. So the first one I want to talk about that actually just came out, um, I don't remember the name of it because it was quite long, was Billie Eilish's documentary. Um, oh, The World's a Little Blurry. There we go. I remembered it. Uh, quite quite a title. Um, and a lot of people were rating this movie very highly. They were giving it a 4 out of 5, or a 4.1 I think was the average audience score, which is, for Letterboxd, is quite high, I would say. Um, I think one of the biggest issues here was that it got a 4 out of 5. Now, I watched this movie twice to to really, you know, solidify my opinion because I'm not going to just throw it out in the world and be like, oh, psych, I actually gave it a 4 out of 5 myself. Um, I gave it a 3, I'm pretty sure. Um, I'll have to go back and check that, but, you know, I probably won't. Uh, and a lot of people loved this movie, and I was just not, I did not agree at all. I thought it was a good 3 out of 5, but definitely not a 4. So one of the biggest issues I had with this movie was the fact that it had no sense of narrative or story. It was essentially two, and it was, okay, first off, it was two and a half hours, which is way too long, or it's two hours, 20 minutes, doesn't matter. It's way too long for, I I would say, any documentary, especially um, about an artist where it's mostly just behind-the-scenes footage um, and a lot of concerts as well. Concert clips, I should say. Uh, You know, I think R.J. Cutler, the director, he was like, all right, I have one of the biggest pop stars in the world. I'm going to record her for like three years. I'm going to take all the footage, edit it together, and just call it a documentary because that's basically what it felt like. There was no sense of, okay, she's working towards her first album here or she's working towards working, you know, making the biggest album in the world or performing the biggest concert at Madison Square Garden. It was just like, let's take all this footage from four years, Throw it together, put some performances across those you know three four years, and just call it a movie. Sell it to Apple TV, book it thirty million dollars, easy money. And really, I mean, I can't blame them for that. But this movie was just not that good. There was so much behind the scenes footage of Billy, which I mean was awesome. It was great to see like some really intimate and like you know emotional moments, especially uh, throughout her early career. Uh, but I, it was just so disjointed. There was so much going on, and I didn't really like uh, just how it was all put together. Uh, one of the best scenes I would say though was uh, during her Coachella set. So it really got into like you know her mindset before and after the show. Uh, you know how the show had some technical issues. Uh, but one of the biggest things that that annoyed me out of all this Coachella stuff was that her boyfriend at the time she got into Coachella for free, and then she was like, "Hey, do you want to hang out?" And he was like maybe like what do you mean maybe (laughs) like this she got you into coachella probably one of the biggest events for you know los angeles socialites for the year and you don't even want to hang out with your your very famous girlfriend i was like that's that's kind of crazy so this guy i mean i think they're broken up now thankfully for for billy's sake i guess um but this guy sucks like Basically, I don't even think he really liked Billy all that much and Billy, you know, who's young and he was young too, so whatever, young love type beat. But uh basically what I'm saying is is he sucked. I, I don't think this guy was a good boyfriend and I think not saying that Billy deserved any type of special treatment as a an international pop star as a girlfriend, but <laughs> I think it's probably important that you do like your girlfriend because uh he clearly didn't or he didn't appear to at least given the documentary, so um, it's probably a good thing she she left them in the dust uh, after that. And one of the crazier things that I thought of watching this movie was how many followers she has on Instagram. Because I think she has 76 million on Instagram now or something. Or she might even have way more. But at age 18, that must feel insane. Because I'm 22 and I have like a thousand followers. You know, subtle flex uh, on Instagram. And you know, that feels like a lot of people. Like if you take a thousand people and put them in a room... That's a lot of people. But if you take 76 million, that is insane. Uh, so I think at age 18, that must just feel uh, bananas, truly. So with that being said, you know, I can't really blame her for uh, for not really liking uh, the spotlight sometimes. Because, yeah, that's got to feel insane. Uh, anyways, after watching this movie, I went through the absolute gauntlet of music documentaries. Because I thought, are they all, like, not this bad in terms of, like, story? Or is it just... Um, Billy's and you know that's not saying anything is wrong with with Billy it's mostly just the director whoever edited the movie I just was not not vibing with it because Billy is actually a really interesting artist but uh, just the way it was put together I was just not vibing with it whatsoever the next one I went to uh, to really get back into the roots of my music documentary experience was Never Say Never and you're probably thinking Jared why did you watch a documentary about a 16 year old Justin Bieber And you know what? I don't blame you for thinking that because uh, it was kind of wild to go back and watch. Uh, Like, first off, it's produced by Paramount, um, which is a massive uh, company in the film industry. And they were probably making an absolute bag off Justin at this time because he was huge. And I think... The best part about Paramount producing this, though, was that there was at least some sort of production value in terms of, like, mass appeal or storyline because they had so much money probably pumped into this project. Um, And I can't be mad at that. Uh, But I think the thing that I liked the most about rewatching Never Say Never was how 2010 um, it really was, or 2011, whenever it came out. Like, this movie was basically everything you imagine from 2010. I mean, that's because it was filmed in 2010, but in the best way possible. Like everyone's wearing a really tight flannel shirt for some reason, or like flannel print. Uh, They're all wearing these kind of like weird hats. Uh, Some of them are wearing like three or four shirts at a time. So it's like a tank top and then like a t-shirt and then like another bigger shirt over top. Like one of them is neon green, one of them's pink, one of them's white. And then they have like blue in their hair for some reason. Uh, I think that if it doesn't, Ca- you know, capture 2010 style uh, nothing else will so I think Never Say Never is going to go down as one of the best music documentaries for just capturing probably how Justin Bieber became one of the biggest artists in the world um, only at age like 15-16. The thing is here though as to why I think Never Say Never was much better than Billie Eilish's is because it had a lot of the behind the scenes footage but it also showed some concert stuff, whatever. I was like, okay, whatever. I could probably just skip past that. But a lot of the behind the scenes stuff was very like, okay, we're going to go back, meet his family. We're going to show how he got discovered by Scooter Braun. And then how it like, his basically how his whole career started. It was a really nice timeline, but a lot of it was working towards when he did his biggest concert at Madison square garden. So it was all working up to this final goal of like, okay, he's doing his biggest show ever. And this is what we're going to build up to from basically the start of his career. So there's some sense of direction where Billy's was mostly just like, let's just take everything from the last four years, just kind of chuck it in bits and pieces, throw some concert footage in between and just call it a day because that's mostly what it felt like. Uh, So Never Say Never, I think is going to go down as one of the best music documentaries probably ever, uh, at least in my books, because uh, Justin Bieber was definitely my entire personality as a grade seven kid like I was wearing Osiris, I was wearing skinny jeans, like purple hoodies, because Justin Bieber was like, every grade seven girls crush, like who wasn't like, yo, I love Justin Bieber in grade seven. Um, so I think it was really easy for me, at least to be like, okay, I can just steal this guy's entire style and personality, put it into myself and like, maybe boost my status, you know, as a, a grade seven kid. Uh, so, you know, similar to to justin bieber actually sean mendez another ontario native uh, had his own documentary i don't know the name of it on netflix which i thought was pretty good it followed a pretty similar uh i would say structure to justin's uh, a lot of it actually kind of went back to his early career i kind of talked about where he's at now and then all of it was building up to his big concert back in toronto it was like always you know homecoming everything like that what an exciting time so i think sean mendez uh his documentary was pretty great uh i don't know who directed it but it was pretty great and uh you know i don't think there was too many performances because i think a big issue with some of these music documentaries is that they just love to throw in performances and i'm like that's great but i would just go to a concert if i want to see a concert so I think at like max, you need three performances of three songs and you're like, you're good for the documentary. Um, and then Shawn Mendes, I think his was about, I would say a good hour and 45 minutes. Same with Justin Bieber's hour and 45 minutes uh, about that, where Billy's was like two hours and 30 minutes, which is still way too long. Like hour and 45 is perfect, but two hours, that's I'm not, or, or two hours, 20 minutes. Actually, I'm not rocking with that at all. So, the next one I went and watched uh, was Ariana Grande's. I don't know the name of the uh, documentary as well. I'm just a terrible host here, clearly. Um, but don't get me wrong. Ariana Grande, absolute star. We're really, you know, here at Yeah Right, we love Ariana Grande. But this documentary, as like a, like a non-Ariana Grande, like I'm not like standing over her my entire life, uh, was not all that great. Uh, it was basically just a concert. And I mean, if I wanted to go see a concert, I would go. But instead, they basically uploaded a two-hour concert documentary and just slapped the word "documentary" on it. Not really loving that, um, you know. For her, unfortunately, I think her team kind of dropped the ball with that one. Even though I'm sure Ariana Grande fans loved it, I think as someone who was like, "Oh, I want to see Ariana Grande like do coke on like a private jet," uh, I was not really getting what I was hoping for there. Or just like a lot of the behind-the-scenes footage, again building up to that big goal. But instead, it was just like. Yeah, we're just going to show you her concert and call it a day, make some money. So I'm not really rocking with Ariana Grande's. And next, (laughs) I have the uh, One Direction documentary, who's actually directed by uh, Morgan Spurlock, who made the Super Size Me uh, movie. And Super Size Me 1 and 2, he directed this. And let me tell you, this movie has the best, I would say, structure out of all the ones I watched because it was so well done. Uh, commercial wise like if you're trying to sell a movie to 13 year old girls this was the perfect movie it's an hour and a half it basically showed you exactly who One Direction was in that hour and a half and it was just really efficient in it's storytelling it was like all right who are the members what do they make what do they like boom go super easy I think it was done in such a such a a great way to where I was like you know what I'd want to hang out with One Direction even as a a 22 year old guy watching um they were probably around my age when that came out so you know what good for them I think Morgan Spurlock crushed the One Direction documentary uh because it was just super easy to watch like I didn't feel like uh you know I was I, I didn't get bored at all to say the least now, probably the best one I watched was actually Taylor Swift's documentary, Miss Americana, which I believe won some some awards at some film festivals. And you know what? Rightfully so. I think Taylor actually had a really big hand in the making of this movie, but it felt very you know, intimate, and it felt like she was kind of pushing her, uh, you know, what she wanted to portray herself as a little bit, which, I mean, is totally fine. It's kind of her documentary, so whatever. Um, but it was a lot of the behind-the-scenes stuff and really just showing like how the media has portrayed her and impacted her career, which I think was interesting to see as she's like one of the biggest pop stars in North America or like even the world. Where, you know, again, Billy's was just a lot of the behind the scenes footage of just random events. So I was like, Oh, this is great to see an artist working. But Taylor's was like, Okay, uh, like, for example, she was gonna tweet out in support of a a Democrat. Um, in the Nashville or Tennessee. I don't know what was going on. I can't remember. I watched this a while ago. But, um, you know, that was like a big moment for her. Like, how is this going to impact her overall image? So there was a sense of, uh, like, you know, stakes on the line here, you know? Like, this could really impact her career where I, I'm really not just vibing with these random clips edited together throughout three or four years, you know? I think that's my biggest point here is that Billy's was good because watching Billy was interesting, but the fact that the movie had no sense of purpose or, like, direction was not really rocking with at all. So I think if you're going to watch any music documentary, you got to watch Miss Americana, Taylor Swift's. you got to watch the One Direction one. And then, you know what, maybe go on to Billy's um, just to see kind of what you're missing out on. Because someone like me, I'm not, I'm not rocking out to Billie Eilish all hours of the day. Uh, you know, and I think that's probably because I'm not her target audience. And that makes sense. Uh, you know, as someone like, uh, you know, Justin Bieber at the time, it was like, oh yeah, I'm going to watch this because, uh, you know, this is the biggest guy. So the same thing with Billy is I'm going to watch this because the biggest artist of the current day anyways. Okay. So moving on here. I'm gonna go into another segment of very good, very bad. Uh, even though I've been kind of doing that the entire episode, uh, it's something. It's you know, it's a book, okay? So we've been talking about movies for about 18, 19 minutes here, and I actually took about nine months to finish a 300-page book. And you're probably thinking, "Wow, that's kind of embarrassing." And I would agree. It's you know, it's kind of sad. It took me that long to finally finish a book, um, but it's not because you know, it's mostly because of lack of trying. Let Let's say I was I was pretty motivated. In the first week of owning the book, I probably finished a good 90 pages in the first day or two. And then I didn't touch it again for a good six months. And then I probably read another 50, 60 pages. And then I put it down again. And then so on. And I eventually just finished it. I finished it in like two days. I read the remaining whatever it was, 170 pages. And it was great. And let me tell you, reading a book, I did not think was going to be that good. But this book, Normal People, written by Sally Rooney, it uh, was one of my favorite books, I would say, probably ever. But, uh, you know, I've admitted to this that I've probably read, I would say, 22 books in my life. So that's about a book a year, which is pretty sad. I might even have read less than 22 books, uh, which is even worse than, tw- you know, admitting that I've only read one a year. Uh, and, you know, I've talked about this on my on my Instagram in, in the post recommending this book. Um, but I had to read a lot of Charles Dickens books. And, man, that guy was so boring. Like I could not listen. Listen. I could not read that book. Um, you know. If my life depended on it. Because it was just so boring. This guy would describe this guy for four pages. And I was like you know what. I can't be doing this. So I think Normal People was a nice, uh, nice step into adult fiction. Now I'm not talking about like you know Fifty Shades of Grey type thing. Like there was like you know don't get me wrong. There's some adult content in Normal People. But it was mostly like normal, you know, uh, like I'm not talking about secret rooms and uh, I'm saying this as someone who's never had Fifty Shades of Grey, so I don't know what I'm talking about here. But um, yeah, normal people, I would highly recommend. Um, you know, Sally Rooney doesn't use any quotation marks and she jumps around timelines quite often. So you really got to be paying attention when you read here. So maybe don't be on your phone um, is my biggest recommendation. And there's actually a show that just came out for it. And apparently it's, it's pretty great. So if you're really rocking with uh, you know, TV to book adaptation adaptations? Yeah. Um this this one's for you, basically. Uh, and with you know, I think it goes without saying that I should probably read more books. And you probably should too. So stay tuned for my book recommendations because I'm gonna become, you know, a, a bookman, uh, someone who's very involved in the book industry, and I'm gonna be recommending you the best books in the biz. Uh, so, if you have any good book recommendations, send them my way so I can talk about them on a podcast um, only hosted by myself. And don't forget, it's not a podcast. It's, yeah, right. And more tune for your head top. So, watch how you speak on my name, you know? And today I'm going to send you off with Justin Bieber's one time. Let's take it away, Justin.